I record this episode, as always, on unceded Indigenous land that I only can't locate because I do anti-fascist stuff for security purposes. Pay my respects to elders, past and present, the land that I recorded on. Assert, as I always do, the start of these episodes of The Pork and Feed the Birds that it always was and it always will be Aboriginal land. On the early afternoon of the 15th of March, 2019, it was a Friday Arvo and I was driving towards Thornbury in Melbourne, Victoria. I'd just finished a work meeting with my boss at the time and I think I was headed initially to meet up with a mate for a beer or two. And I stopped while driving in the corner at the lights, you know, and someone had sent me a link. Yeah, a comrade who spends the same, roughly, amount of time I do looking at far-right shit. And they said to me to look at it because they were told it was being distributed around like crazy by all the 4chan types. But they didn't say what it was. So I did, I opened it up, and what I, what I saw was a live stream, but it was only about two or three seconds of first-person footage of what I think was someone entering into a building. But the lights turned green, so, you know, I put my phone away and I kept driving. And then at the next light, someone sent me a brief news report from, I think, a New Zealand news or daily radio site about a rumoured attack on a mosque over there. By the time I was in Thornbury, I had had a call from, I think, several comrades confirming that the live stream I had seen a second or two of was that attack and that the attack had claimed lives. We didn't know how many yet. But then I stopped in on a pub to collect myself and read up on my own. And it was then, over the coming hour or so, that I read in full about the unfolding horror of the Christchurch massacre. Nobody who is not Muslim, I imagine, could really understand the feelings that Muslim people and Muslim communities must have gone through in the wake of that attack. You know, after years of being vilified by the same nationalist elements that birthed Brenton Tarrant, whether they be fringe or mainstream, grassroots or political, after years of trying to warn ASIO or the media or the government or everyone else who's not fucking Muslim in vain about this, this threat, that group, this rally, that figurehead, this bashing, that video. Other marginalised groups might understand the feeling of being targeted, sure, but right now in this time, you know, with years of always documented social media platform hosted vilification or trailing around online for all the world to see, to point and wave and demand help with something that we could all see in plain view for years and then to see this attack happen. 
and to be powerless to do anything about it, I can't imagine your own community, your brothers and sisters. I can't imagine, although I was trying to that afternoon, I admit. Now, for that matter, I don't think I'm very good at communicating the feelings that learning what that man did brought about in me either. You know, I'm someone who's been part of various different types of anti-fascist efforts for years, and there have been other attacks. We could list them. We won't now, but I could off the top of my head. But there is a grim, you know, undoubtable finality to the Christchurch massacre that drew a line in the sand that day here for us. You know, never again would anyone have to phrase their descriptions of the threat of white supremacy in the context of the modern patriot or nationalist movements as a warning. Now, until this era is resolved, however it may be, all the warnings that was that have been and gone for good come 15th of March 2019, the danger had presented itself here. And to be involved in the project of interfering in fringe fascist and nationalist movements, trying your best to do so anyway, knowing that there's a clear and present danger in those movements, and then to see this happen is, how do I say it, uniquely troubling. And I remember that my comrades in anti-fascism were nothing short of devastated, glued to their screens, helpless, reaching out to each other, devastated. And I do like to see myself as a desensitised dude. You know, I've been online and part of the internet since the early days of something awful. I like to tell people I've fucking seen it all. I actually see it as a strength in terms of looking at the stuff that I hate. You know, you want to be able to summon up a degree of anaesthetic, but I sat down in Carwin's cellars, as I recall, over a beer, and I looked at it all, and yes, I saw the video, and you're in my position, you see it a thousand times, for better or worse, because you watch the spaces where people like Brenton Tarrant all hang out and impress each other. So I've seen it a thousand times, but the first time I saw it was that same day, yes. And I admit that it got me too. As it would anyone who's a fucking human. I was sitting in Carwin's cellars, a bit of a mess, putting together what I could of what had happened, you know, as more came to light. And, and I wrote about it because the fact is I knew a lot of other people to be very upset, but I believe that some people look to me and others around me in the dedicated anti-fascist space for a bit of direction at distressing shitty times like that. So that's partly my job, you know. So writing in any event helped me to organise my thoughts you know, as much as I like to 
think that it helped give a bit of guidance. Helps me too. So I spent some time in the corner of a bar in Thornbury doing that by myself. Two years on, it's interesting looking at what I'd written on that day because, you know, I like to try and tie contemporary threads together in anything I write about these things. I, I don't think you can consider any event like this in isolation. So I, I, I just as I do now, I, I, I tried to look at what else was going on then and, and consider everything else related to, to my view of the far right and, and the fascists and nationalist elements I look at in light of that event. So I did. And, and it's interesting because it, and that is the Christchurch massacre in my writing, whatever, it happened only a day after former Aussie nationalist Führer Blair Cottrell had had his Twitter account deleted. It may seem trivial looking back on it, but there was a certain degree of celebration of that at the time. And that, now I mentioned that because I explained that I didn't feel motivated to join in on those celebrations. You know, this tiring ritual that people online go through again and again when the latest shithead is banned. And that's not only because it's a just a futile game of whack-a-mole to me. The way I see it, social media companies are just shifting deck chairs on the Titanic, offering up these paltry reactive solutions to patch up this problem that they had allowed to fester until it, just like their platforms, was too big a problem to really do anything about. I mean, even back then, it was more than a million reports that they were receiving on Facebook in a day, and they were farming it out to people hopelessly ill-equipped and undercompensated to deal with it in Manila. How do you even really deal with that? Anyway, how do you remediate the rise of the next 100, 1,000 little self-styled algorithmic furors? If there is a solution, like professional localised teams of moderators employed across the globe, well compensated, it is doubtless too expensive a solution for social media corporations to ever be bothered to explore. And I say, now as I said it then, government regulation of social media was the only answer, really. That's what I was certainly saying on the day. I also mentioned an ABC report from that time that revealed how teenage scammers from Kosovo were found to be in control of some of the biggest pages still lingering on the platform from the Patriot Movement days, such as No Mosque in Nari Warren and Australia's Against Sharia. The grift they found was to redirect all these howling boomer frothers from those pages to fake news websites. And the ad revenue from those fake news websites which, you know, many of which led the way from 2015 onwards in fueling this kind of nationalist patriot culture war rift in Australia, they were all essentially solely built for the purpose of generating ad revenue and therefore feeding a group of teenagers in Kosovo. 
Now, this is just one expression of this growth market of independently manipulated news. One doesn't need to stand aside and let News Corp play kingmaker in perpetuating bullshit for political outcomes and revenue anymore. No. With a bit of savvy in the right target market, you can join in yourself. And I think it's interesting to look back on that, at what's changed, at what's stayed the same. You know, now you can hardly mention Blair's name yourself on mainstream social media platforms without being booted for supporting terrorism, literally just for typing the name in. So these people still have their spaces, but they're on independent platforms, you know, communications platforms like Telegram. On the other hand, the government regulation stuff's gone fucking nowhere. The only regulation our government is interested in regarding the internet is who pays who for news or how much more freedom we should give Dutton's lot for using it to obtain all our info. And the grift part, the fake news revenue shit, well, that's not in the hands of kids in Kosovo anymore. Facebook have proven pretty good at removing that stuff. No, now it's in the hands of the professionals. Outfits like Rebel News or our very own Arvi Yemeni. These assholes have essentially filled that same yawning hole in fuzzy-headed conservative boomers' heads with their endless, completely unaccountable stream of media diarrhoea. Because they know it as well as the Kosovo teams did. There is money in dispensing garbage. It sounds like news, but it's just a bit more exciting, a bit more like whatever you already want to hear. You just have to not worry about what the medium to long-term consequences of your diarrhoea would be. I'm going to quote something of what I'd said on that day in my little processing posts. This afternoon, I watched a live stream video of a man shooting and killing people in Christchurch at a mosque and its surrounds. Then I went and read the manifesto he uploaded. It's loaded with typical white supremacist garbage and I read this stuff all the time. I talk about it all the time on this page. The great replacement of whites, a really dull conspiracy theory written by victims for victims. Conspiracy theory rubbish. The same stuff Blair Cottrell peddles. This narrative has been driven to his, that is Terence, mind by the same kind of social media pages that Kosovo teenagers make to generate ad revenue. I've been sitting alone at a bar watching this grotesquerie and regretting all of it deeply alternating between numbness and this kind of crushing sadness. Yes, it's the same garbage I read daily, but shockingly, now it has a fresh local kill count attached to it. I've read local patriots describing the tragedy as a victory. They're so succumbed to their delusional culture war that this counts as online entertainment for them. We're in the middle of a global negotiation 
towards how to conduct ourselves towards each other online. What are the teething problems with this negotiation? Now Christchurch knows one of them. Mass shootings live streamed on social media, carried out in the name of dangerous viral fantasies, popularised through social media to make people money. Can't afford to have our corporate social media arbiters simply rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic anymore. We must see change. Two years on, what's been done since then? Between the 15th of March 2019 and now, how far have we come? I think on one hand it serves to point out that, yeah, some things have changed. Culturally, people do sometimes take white supremacy marginally more seriously than they used to a few years back, given the right circumstances and the right recent controversies. Consider the recent A Current Affair special on Tom Sewell and the Twin Group's National Socialist Network and European-Australian movement. It's fair to say that without the parliamentary inquiry into extremism and the recent US march on the Capitol after Trump's election loss on January 6th, we'd not have seen that special. However, I think, crucially, this isn't coverage, I don't think, that would have happened before Christchurch at all. Mainstream coverage was more likely to fall in a pre-Christchurch Australian tabloid media landscape on the side of describing nationalists as concerned mums and dads or nationalist efforts as neighbourhood watch initiatives. So there has been a change, a shift in the landscape. However, I reiterate that we don't always see the effects of this minor shift it does require recent emergent circumstances to remind people to care because many people exist in an ongoing state of willful amnesia about the consequences of organised white supremacy. All you have to do is give them a month or two and they go back to forgetting. The New Zealand report following their Royal Commission into the Christchurch massacre is really great reading. And if you do nothing else today, I do recommend that you, you bring it up and give it a proper read. It's, it's compelling reading, but it's important reading too. It does frankly consider the difficulty for anyone, be they intelligence agencies or the community at large, to pinpoint future attacks like Tarrant's because he kept his plans on the quiet. It considers the importance and practical measures aimed at social cohesion and it refreshingly acknowledges that there is a strong link between media and government policies or messages and the subsequent fringe sentiment explored or pursued by far-right groups or, at the extreme end, terrorists like Tarrant. Institutions play the tune that goes on to be echoed in social media, and in the end, people like Tarrant dance to that tune, however they may. Now, that report is refreshing, honestly. 
It should be read by anyone who considers themselves or tells everyone that they are anti-fascist. But I will say that I have always thought that this was not ultimately New Zealand's burden. Sure, they have their own storied history of white supremacy, whether colonial and institutional or fringe and activist. Yes, but they experienced this tragedy and they took lasting measures on gun ownership and social cohesion to do what they could to avoid a repeat of it. And I say it again, I don't think this is New Zealand's burden, this attack. I think it is Australia's burden. I think, and when I say this, I say it because I don't hear anyone else saying it outside of anti-fascism. I think Brendan Tarrant is Australia's most notorious serial murderer. I think Brendan Tarrant is Australia's national shame. And I think we should look inside of ourselves and we should be asking these deep questions, many of which New Zealand asked. So again, I ask, how far have we come since March the 15th 2019. What's happened since then? We look across some of the media landscape and you see that Sky News have employed Lauren Southern, who was one of the people most famous for popularising the same great replacement conspiracy theory that Brendan Tarrant put on the front of his manifesto. And sometimes it seems like me and other anti-fascists and all people on Twitter and what have you are the only ones who seem quite concerned about that. Elsewhere in the more responsible end of the media landscape, I recommend you might consider getting a, a subscription to Saturday Paper so you can read Shakira Hussain's great article on this very subject from December 2020. It's called Christchurch Massacre, an Australian Crime. It discusses the lack of coverage in Australian media of that New Zealand Royal Commission report. Much of our media didn't seem to give a shit about it, as though the Christchurch attack was merely a fault in the security apparatus of New Zealand's state. You know, a slip up by their cops and their 007s. Certainly not our business. Certainly not our business that Australia spent the months leading up to Christchurch nationally platforming Fraser Rannick, a senator who'd slipped into his office off the back of a parliamentary eligibility issue and used his time in Parliament to campaign for re-eligibility with a hand-selected team of explicitly neo-Nazi power mongers and media campaigners. Hussein points out he was even hosted on the Kyle and Jackie O show after the massacre to explain his post that happened in the immediate wake of it, and we shall get to that later. And on that show, he got to say to a national audience, but to explain himself by saying that the blame for the massacre lay with the immigration program that allowed Muslim fanatics to migrate to New Zealand in the first place. Give him the microphone and let him say that. We found it ourselves in the years leading up to Christchurch to stomach and allow for explicitly white supremacist hot takes 
to sit not just in our mainstream media, but in our political landscape too. From Abbott and Morrison's Stop the Boats campaign to Senator Anning's final solution speech, our Liberal government started and oversaw the process of red-pilling Tarrant and those like him. It was that overarching discourse that started off the pipeline for people like Tarrant in the first place. So how far have we come since March the 15th, 2019? Later, we saw the attempted branch stacking of the young nationals by neo-Nazi elements. It was only reporting from the media and the anti-fascist researchers at the White Rose Society that brought that to light. If White Rose didn't tackle it, I suspect nobody else would have given a shit. The Lance Society, later National Socialist Network and European Australian Movement, organised now explicitly towards a white separationist, neo-Nazi, accelerationist goal. They believe our circumstances will socially deteriorate to the degree that they can go off, form a little fifth column, a white enclave, which can eventually seize power, or at least save the whites. They're led by someone who once tried to recruit Brendan Tarrant, and he told the media in 2019, not long after that massacre, that if his group weren't allowed to organise peacefully, they might so he implied very clearly, have no other choice but to go the Tarrant route themselves. But they are not peaceful. So letting them organise peacefully seems impossible, doesn't it? Evidenced by when Sewell recently attacked a Channel 9 security guard for the crime of covering them. Dutton recently said on their current affairs special that he was considering declaring the Shannon Krieg Division a terrorist org. That was lip service because that's not really a group. The Son and Krieg Division was mostly a chat group or two from a couple of years back in the UK. Again, I suspect he was paying lip service there. And this is the thing. Apart from paying lip service, our government aren't very interested in much of this problem. Now, they are currently holding an inquiry into extremism, but they've also made it clear that they are about as interested in that, in the real problems of the far right, as they are in an imaginary far-left boogeyman. To this same end, they've been involved in handing out grant money to academics and researchers who can tell them about the problems posed by both sides of extremism. Remember, one's real, the other one's a conveniently counterbalancing imaginary one. And so we've heard recent papers be released about symbiotic radicalisation, among other things. It's depressing stuff. This real tragedy is worth considering to our government only in so far as it can be conveniently counterbalanced by an imaginary anarchist extremist holding a Molotov cocktail because that allows them to distance themselves from any real responsibility for bringing it about. 
How far have we come since 15th of March 2019? I think anti-fascism has gotten better, I must say. I'm optimistic about that. I'm optimistic about our networks, but I'm not optimistic about any of the big stuff. I don't think we've progressed at all. Not the government, not Australia. Maybe a little better at paying lip service. I've just written my little contribution to my comrades and whoever else is following me. Everyone grieving the Christchurch massacre as it unfolded, sitting there in that bar, you know, still miserably sipping on my beer. And then I came upon Senator Fraser Anning's tweet, just as he posted it. He said, does anyone still dispute the link between Muslim immigration and violence? Now, I'm not going to tell you I was surprised at this tweet. I wasn't. It was the same kind of fundamentally disingenuous, shit-stirring, baiting garbage deployed by his team of, again, hand-picked neo-Nazis, led by the rich, scheming neo-Nazi scumbag Andrew Wilson. Same tactics since day one. Usual bag of tricks for them. Actually, I recommend listening to the ABC background briefing piece on Andrew Wilson and his team related to back then. It's very compelling listening and a frightening expose, one of the scarier ghouls we've ever come across on the far, far right. So I wasn't surprised about the tweet. But I admit that all my sadness instantly converted to rage right then and there. I found some comrades drinking elsewhere down the road and I was done processing on my own. So I went to go and see them to seethe to them about Annie. We took to the Yelling at Racist Dogs page. We immediately posted the location of a meeting Anning was holding in an industrial lot in Moorabbin the next day. We'd known about that campaign meeting for some time. But previously we decided it was probably too dangerous to send comrades in there. But now, on this day, after this tweet, after that massacre, we decided we were too fucking angry and we didn't give a fuck. The next day, about 100 people rocked up with us to that lot, finding us in the jungle of that remote industrial estate with little to no guidance. We hadn't spent any time at all on organising a rally. We'd simply said to come down if you want, because we were going. And still that many rocked up because that many were that angry. I'm sure there were lots more milling about aimlessly elsewhere within that estate. Unfortunately, due to a combo of shit advice and a confusing environment, our main block where we were got kettled on the opposite side of the block to Anning's event, but our existence there did provide enough cover for a 17-year-old boy who'd found out about the event, of course, from us to infiltrate that event. The boy approached me beforehand and he said he was going to egg the senator and I told him not to consider it because there was very generous neo-Nazi protection for that man in that building. Thankfully, the boy didn't listen to me and he did the thing. 
and thank fuck it, that thing he did provided a bit of relief to everyone. My favourite thing about it is not that one instance, but that it had a domino effect on Annie. On the day it took the wind out of his sails, he had to cancel multiple following events in other cities because suddenly emboldened people were patrolling with eggs for him. But they were stronger in numbers now than they were in Moorabbin. Now they were in their hundreds, hunting for him. Everyone had the taste of blood. Anning was getting abused at airports. He had to go into hiding. He looked weak and later he got punished at the election. But here we are in 2021 and today I note in the mainstream media in Australia I see a little discussion of that boy and his stunt. But bugger all about the massacre. What makes me sad is that Australians love to palm off their responsibilities and process them through what I think is like the lens of a easy palatable hero's journey. But I'll be honest, at the time I enjoyed young e-boy stunt Will Connolly. And as an anti-fascist, I appreciated it that someone came in, a kid like a wild card, and did something on the most non-violent end of the direct action spectrum conceivable at the time. You know, in those circumstances. Because anyone else would have king hit that motherfucker. And I appreciated that in a way our rally enabled it to happen. You know? But it's a source of endless disappointment to me that that kid spent bugger all time on anti-racism or anti-fascism. The things that got him there. Fuck, he's just a kid though. You know? Good on him. It doesn't surprise me. Live your life. You know what? He got blindsided by the celebs, this this army of celebs who came his way, scooping him up, who knew as little about anti-fascism as he did. I'm more annoyed at everyone else, to be frank. All of us. We indulge the heroic one-off stunt shit here as a way of ignoring the underlying problems. It's easier to say, oh, Egg Boy did that thing once, legend and go back to ignoring real problems and systemic, ongoing, persistent, little solutions. Because even though the problem of white supremacist organising persists to this day, it's now more organised and threatening in Australia than ever. And we have, for the most part, done fuck all to remedy it. So I'm glad the kid helped us out that one day. I just wish people weren't so inattentive or naive as to persist in thinking that little stunts, little hero stunts, fix the issue of organised racism. It requires a lot more persistence than that and it often seems to require a lot more unpopular effort. But what I do have to say is that our anti-fascist network in Australia, in my view, is more connected and organised than ever. And thank fuck for that. We have eyes all over and we're quite connected. That's more important than popularity. I know comrades who are quite content to be labelled as some mythical counterbalancing boogeyman so that some fucking academic can get a grant and to never have their details revealed or their constant time and effort sacrifice on it due to their need of personal security over or under the constant threat of fascist targeting. 
I know people who stopped subsequent terrorist attacks. I know they did. I know they helped there. And you'll never know who they are. And they're fucking heroes. And you'll never get the chance to thank them. Because it's not safe. I know people who've dedicated themselves to this cause in absolute silence. Not like me with my big fucking platform. Not foghorns like me. And they're proper heroes. And you don't know them. And that's fine. That's the anti-fascist network I'm but one tiny coggy, one minor ancillary fucking wing of. And I am privileged to sometimes, every now and then, contribute to it. It is a frustrating, depressing pursuit, but sometimes it involves wins. And I know that once every now and then, those wins can save actual people's lives. Let me quote the words of my comrades from Anti-Fascist Action Brisbane in commemoration of the anniversary of this attack. We recommit ourselves daily to helping defend our communities from fascist and state-sponsored violence. Media and the state work to dehumanise and demonise Indigenous peoples, migrants and refugees. The state thinks that their prisons torture Violence and border force will stop us from building loving, resilient and vigilant communities of solidarity together. They have failed. We've been fought in the streets, doxxed, raided, attacked, and our livelihoods threatened, and our loved ones and families threatened and more. But we're still here and we will continue to be. It's been my experience in the two years following Christchurch that effective community organising, not only of anti-fascists, but of concerned locals, communities, people who talk to each other, the people down the road, the local communities affected by fascists and nationalists, that is the kind of everyday anti-fascism that kicks more goals against these terrorists and pests than a hypocritical government with their lip service and 007s or a mainstream media with their clickbait same-day journalism will ever do. Your local community, I have found, does have the answers with just a little organisation and in fact is far more dedicated than the state at weeding out this filth when they band together. That's been my experience. How to commemorate the anniversary, I say believe in your local community. Organise. Thank anti-fascists for their persistence because they don't fucking often get thanked and you'll probably never even know who the best ones are. Thank them for the attacks that didn't get a chance to happen, maybe due to their persistence and vision. Just maybe. Maybe sometimes it's then and not the fucking 007s. And for the attack that did happen two years ago today, my heart and my sympathies continue to go out to the Muslim community in and around the Al Nur Mosque and in Christchurch, Aotearoa, affected by this tragedy. Solidarity with all the victims of white supremacist extremism. We can't say never again. 
but we can say we'll never stop.